This is the Two Fish Podcast, where we try to keep biblical truths simple. Your hosts, Nick Burt and Aaron Apple. Hey, 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 everybody. We are back, and this week we are super excited. We got another guest on the show, and uh, we're going to be talking about a very big issue going on in the world and uh, what this organization is doing about that. So um, we're we're very blessed this week to have the guests that we have here, and uh, we're excited to share this, and uh, we hope that uh, you will get behind it as well and help us get the word out there and share it on uh, whatever platform you can and, and let your friends know about it as uh, we're going along. So, Nick, who do we got here today? We have Chris Russell from Destiny Rescue. How are you, Chris? Great. How are you guys doing? Excellent. So, Chris, uh, first off, introduce yourself. Um, and how did you get with Destiny Rescue? Uh, so, yeah, my name is Chris Russell. I serve as the director of engagement with Destiny Rescue. I've been with them for two years full time now, but been a pastor for 20 years before that. Um, I actually brought Destiny Rescue into Community Church of Waterford, where I was lead pastor at here in Goshen back in 2015. And it was just a complete game changer for our church family. What it did in the hearts of our people and activating their faith to yeah. do something about this issue was huge. Uh, 2017, I was asked to serve on the, the U.S. board for Destiny Rescue. And then in 2000, fall of 2018, uh, we actually, you know, I went through a discerning process with uh, our elders yeah. uh, every year. We sit down and kind of have these two questions I go through. Am I still the right person to lead, you know, mm-hmm. the church family? And is, is this still the right fit for me personally? And really felt like the answers changed. And so we went through a discernment process and realized, yeah, God was calling me away from CCW. And at that time, I announced in October of 2018 that I was going to be leaving at the end of the year and had nothing lined up. So it made a lot of logical sense from a human standpoint. <laughs> um, but it was kind of like, you know, you think of like the story of Abraham that I'll show you as you go kind of a thing. And yeah. actually within a week of the word getting out that I was going to be leaving, Destiny Rescue reached out and said, hey, let's have a conversation. So Awesome. Um, so, yeah. So give me just a quick um, synopsis. What is Destiny Rescue and what do they do? So we're an international nonprofit Christian organization that specializes and focuses primarily on rescuing underage girls out of sex trafficking all around the world. Okay. Um, are you all around the world? You're in every continent, basically? Uh, not in every continent right now. We're, we're currently in eight countries, and our goal is by 2030 to be rescuing in 30 countries. Oh, awesome. So. Okay. What, what year? By 2030. 2030. Our 10-year vision that kicked off last year was we've rescued a little over 6,000 uh, to date, and our goal is by the end of 2030 to be rescuing in 30 countries and to have rescued 100,000 individuals out of trafficking. Wow. So trafficking is a huge issue. Yeah. Um, we were kind of talking off air. It's not yeah. as big here in America because of, not that it's not big, but because of technology. Um, but overseas, it's just an, an astronomically crazy thing. Yeah, you, it is. You have so, some like stats. You know, human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. Uh, it actually just surpassed as far as the amount of money that it makes. It just surpassed illegal drugs and firearms. That's crazy. So it is, it's on a massive scale. Just to give you an idea of the money we're talking about, like I'm, I'm a huge football fan. NFL, you know, we'll skip the COVID year that threw everybody off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in 2019, the NFL made a profit of $8 billion. 
Wow. And baseball, basketball, football, and hockey combined made about $30 billion. Human trafficking made over $150 billion. Wow. And uh, 99 billion of that was from sex trafficking specifically. So we know that there are well over a million children being sex trafficked around the world right now. That, that was a 150 billion. Billion. Yep. Billion. Yep. Nine zeros. That, that is crazy. Yeah. Why? Why? Well, that'd be 10 zeros. My bad for 150 billion. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> why is it so, why is it so big? Well, you know, for, you know, people talk about like, you know, when you combat this, it's going to be something that you've got to, you know, do laws and it's about, you know, politics and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is it comes down to our, our sin nature. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a brokenness that's in our world today. When you get to the place where, um, you know, men feel like it's okay to be using children eight and under for sexual pleasure. I'm just going to say it. That's sick. Yeah. Like I don't it, understand. It is. And it's, and I don't think it's, you know, we, pornography is running rampant uh, these days. Uh, yeah. The U S is the biggest consumer of pornography. And that, that plays a huge role in this because guys are looking to pornography. Um, and you just, there's a slow fade where you're looking to pornography, you're looking at regular stuff and then that doesn't do it anymore. So you look for a little bit more edgy stuff and edgier and edgier and, Eventually, what it gets to over years and years of time is you become a grown man who's addicted to pornography, who the idea of having sex with a 12-year-old child doesn't really feel like it's that far-fetched of an idea. Yeah. It's, uh. a, it's a slow, broken fade of our, of our sin nature. My mind's blown a little bit right now, but how did Destiny Rescue get started? So uh, my teammate and our founder, Tony Kerwin, he's actually from Australia, and he was in Thailand on vacation with his wife back in 98. And while he was there, he overheard this conversation about someone who was being offered to do anything they wanted with a child for $400. And it totally blew them away. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where their, their prayer became God have mercy on these kids. And then they went home and then God does what he often does where he, you know, got a hold of their hearts and was stirring there and didn't let go and over time, that prayer changed from God have mercy on these kids to God have mercy on us if we don't do something to help these kids. Mm. So he was an electrician by trade, uh, moved in 2001 to Thailand and started rescuing kids out of sex trafficking. So they've been going at for 20, 20 years? It's been 20 years. You know, when he got started, he had no idea it was going to turn into this, you know, worldwide organization that it has. He wasn't worried about spreadsheets and keeping track of numbers and all that kind of stuff. So um, in 2011, we started Destiny Rescue USA as a funding nation to raise awareness, resources, and talent. And at that point, we really started keeping track of the numbers. So we, you know, we know we're in that over 6,000 rescues, but that's just dating back to 2011. Wow. Okay. Um, so, so even last year, in the midst of COVID, you know, 2019, we rescued 1,426. In COVID, our undercover agents, you know, they were shut down for a good five months of the year. But even in the midst of that, we still were able to rescue 751 last year. And I uh, just found out last week, we already surpassed 400 rescues this year. Oh, that's awesome. That's on track. So, yeah. So we're going to be back up to where we, we want to be. But man, there's a million kids out there. We've got to grow as fast as we possibly can. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're constantly feeding kids in yeah. too. Sure. As, yep. They're moving them out and they're moving them in just right. as fast. I would imagine. Right. So yeah, the, I've, the supply demand is, is massive. 
Right. I've had the I've had the pleasure of uh, not only having you as my lead pastor, but I've been able to to listen to Chris share a couple times on this, and uh, through my Rotary Club in Syracuse, uh, which I believe Destiny Rescue started in Syracuse, Indiana. It our main office had been in Syracuse. Yeah, and then but, about two months after I. Two months before I came on staff, <laughs> they're like, we're gonna I'm like right here in Goshen, just down the road, and they're like, "Hey, we're moving to Fort Wayne." Oh. So, so that's still not bad. I I, I work out of Goshen, but I, yeah. I go down to Fort Wayne a few times a month. So. But yeah, I've had the I've had the pleasure of not only listening to Chris, but uh, a couple other people from the organization came and spoke to Rot- at Rotary, and this this organization has been on my heart for a number of years and I just, it it never ceases to blow my mind when you hear the numbers, a million kids and $150 billion industry. It always makes my heart sink. Like it's just, it's sick. Like you said earlier, you know, it's just one of those things that shouldn't exist, but it does. And a lot of the causes that slow fade from, from the porn industry that, that just grips people's souls and, you start diminishing the value of another human life and yeah. and objectifying women and children and those desires in your heart start to change and yeah. I don't know, it's just sick world. When I when we're talking through this the Bible, um, I think Jesus had a thing for kids. Like he he really let the children come unto me. Faith All, like a child. Faith like yep. a child, yeah. Yep. And I really think that this is a huge thing for him too. And obviously sure. if it's a huge thing for him. It's got to be a huge thing for us. Well, this idea of rescue, it's not a new idea. I mean, if you go back to the book of Genesis, you know, we read about how God made Adam and Eve in his image, Mm -hmm. and then Adam and Eve chose their way over God's way. And that's the easiest definition of sin that I know. And God wasn't okay with this idea of his people being eternally separated from him because of that sin choice. So he, he launched the ultimate rescue mission. Yeah. And, you know, eventually that led to Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life and dying on the cross for what you and I deserved. Yeah. Um, but over and over again in the Bible, we, we see this heart of God as a rescuer. And all of us who have made a commitment to Jesus have a rescue story and all those stories are worth celebrating. And what's really cool is that, that this perfect, holy God takes broken and messed up people like you and me. And he, he invites us to join him on mission on rescue in the world around us. And uh, that's what we get to be a part of. And, you know, in Psalm 82, four, it's really our marching orders. It says, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hands of the wicked. And that's what we literally get to be a part of yeah. with rescuing kids. I love that. Um, so walk, walk me through how a process of rescuing a child is. I mean, can you walk me through that? Yeah. I, I'll share with you a couple different ways that we do that because really there's, there's probably like 12 different categories of kinds of rescue that we do. Yeah. Uh, some of them are, are much smaller as far as how many we do. Like, uh, you know, we still get involved in labor trafficking, uh, we get involved with kids that are forced to be street beggars. Uh, we actually get involved. We've rescued 12 and 13 year old girls out of temple prostitution. That's still very much really? a thing. Mm. Um, so th- those are ones that we're involved with, not on, not on a huge number scale, but really I would say there's three other primary ways we rescue. So we have, you know, I mentioned earlier, we have eight countries that we are rescuing in five of those we will identify by name. So Cambodia, Thailand, 
uh, Nepal, the Philippines, and the Dominican Republic and the Western Hemisphere. Those are the five we'll talk about by name. Yeah. The other three are undisclosed nations, and that's yeah. because it's so dangerous for Christians to be operating there that we put our our boots on the ground people at risk yeah. uh, to talk about those countries too much publicly in these kinds of settings that's being yeah, recorded. Yeah. And you know, nowadays with media, boy, this could be halfway around the world in a heartbeat. So, yeah. uh, so we've, we've got to protect our people. So, but it, it, with two of the countries where we rescue in, there is that we have border stations. So we have 10 border stations. We're getting ready to go to 14. It's an open border. Thousands of people cross every single day. It's not uncommon at all for a family member to go work in the other country and come yeah. back home at nighttime. But what's happening is you have traffickers who are going into this one country to the poorest villages and they're promising the girls these wonderful jobs in India that'll be able to support themselves and their families. Or they're playing a ruse with the girls that they've fallen in love with them and they want to take them back to India and marry them and give them the life of their dreams. Yeah. So the traffickers, they're not going with the girls across the border because they know our agents are there. Now, in the case of our border rescues, almost all of our agents are females and they're native females. They're working 10 hour days in a hundred degree heat and oh. they have permission from the government to be there. And if anybody that looks like they're underage crosses the border, they can stop them and ask them a series of questions. So again, the traffickers aren't with them because they know our ladies are there. So they're trying to coach up the girls beforehand, tell them you're doing this, tell them you're doing that. But our ladies, they're highly trained in this. They yeah. do it all the time. And they'll ask them, where are you going? What are you going to do? Where you promise this? Where you promise that? Yeah. And if any red flags go up, they can call back to the families to find out, you know, do you, are you aware that your daughter is here at the border getting ready to cross into this other country? 99% of the time, they have no idea their daughter's at the border. And if she takes one step across that border, she will never be seen again by her family. Wow. Um, so that, that's about a quarter of the rescues we did in 2019. And then another quarter is what we call covert rescues. So we have team trips. People can actually go over with us. Typically in a non-COVID year, we'd have like 12 to 14 trips where people can go over and see firsthand what we're doing. We'll do a walk through a red light district. So you see the atmosphere that these girls are in. Uh, we'll go to a rescue homes where you get to interact with girls who have been recently rescued. We might go to one of the villages where one of our girls has been reintegrated and do some kind of a service project. There's, you know, it's a really yeah. kind of get the whole spectrum of, you know, the, the real dark side of things to the, the incredible hope. Yeah. It was kind of like, but God moments where you see these yeah. girls that have been through the worst things you can imagine. And now they're married, have kids and are absolutely thriving. And it's all because of what Jesus can do yeah. in their lives and only Jesus can do. So, but when I, when I go over there and lead a trip, I have the opportunity to go out with our undercover agents. So we're, we're one of the few organizations in the world that actually has our own undercover agents. A lot of anti-trafficking groups will go and gather information, but then that's handed off to the police in hopes that the police will do something with it. Nice. The reality is, is a lot of police officers get, yeah. get handed money to turn the other way. Yeah. So when I, when I go over, I get to go out with our guys and we're going out like we're a group of guys going out, like the three of us, we're going out through the red light district to have a fun night. Yeah. So we're going out pretending to be party, which I'll tell you what guys, the first time I did that, that was so hard to do to pretend to be a creep basically. So we're going into places where we think we've identified underage girls are working in these bar districts and we're going in and we're sitting at a table, you know, a high top table of four people and the girls gather around your table. And uh, they don't, they don't have hello. My name is name tags. Cause no one cares what their name is. No one's looking to, to get their name. They don't care about their names. 
Uh, in fact, a number of places you walk into, they literally have numbers pinned onto their outfits, and that's how you order them for the night. Really? So we're going to, you know, the girls gather around, and we're, we're going to grab the youngest-looking girls they have to sit with us. And then we're playing the part, you know, music's cranking, you got to order drinks and act like you're having fun, but we're yeah. going into information gathering mode at that point, trying to validate their, their age, get contact information. The hope is, is that we build enough trust with them after a couple nights that we'll pay the bar fine. So let's say Aaron, you, you have an establishment, you've got 10 girls working and I think two of them are underage. Yeah. So I'm going to send my guys in there. Uh, they're going to be sitting with those girls and when they feel like they've been there a couple times and built enough trust with them, they're going to pay you. This is how you get around it. Like I, I can't go in there and get a young girl, go upstairs and have sex with her. Can't do that. That's illegal to do that. The way they get around it is I'll pay you a bar fine of maybe $50 because you're losing an employee who would be selling drinks and making you money. And then I'll negotiate a price with the girl and take her wherever I want and do whatever I want all night long with her. And then she shows up at work the next night and it starts all over again for her. Hmm. So our goal is to pay that bar fine, but then we take the girl a few blocks away where one of our caseworkers is or one of our native speaking undercover agents is who's able to say, hey, this is who we really are. This is how we can get you out of this situation and start living out your God-preferred future. Wow. And then they can choose to go into our care at that point. So when you say underage, is that under drinking age? Is that under Uh, under 18? Under under 18. So – that would be across all countries. That's what we would use as a definition under 18. Okay. And so in that, in that scenario where unfortunately I'm in this job and I have these bartenders and the over 18, are they just bartenders or are they allowed to well, prostitute themselves? The reason they're, these girls are just lying about their age. They're underage okay. girls and they're just lying about their age. And see, that's one of the big differences is here. When we're talking about worldwide, if you're looking at a map, and we're talking about over a million kids, about 73% are in that Southeast Asia area of the children that are being trafficked. To compare that, the Western Hemisphere, North, Central, South America combined, it's about 4%. So it's happening everywhere, but it's certainly not happening equally everywhere. So it really is, they're really hiding in plain sight because here we've got amazing resources uh, to go after trafficking. You hear about stuff all the time with trafficking here. They don't have the resources there. So these girls are hiding in plain sight. They just lie about their age huh. because they just simply don't have the resources to enforce. You know, you and I, three of us, we're not going to go out to some party, uh, you know, go find some party district here in the city or something. And we're not going to find a 15 year old girl working at a bar. Yeah. Right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but over there, it's extremely common. In fact, what they do, it's, you know, gro- trafficking is so much about grooming. So in those kinds of atmosphere, what you might get is a 12 and 13 year old girl who are behind the bar and they're the ice girls. So their responsibility is to go and make sure everybody has ice in their drinks. Hmm. But what's happening is they're being groomed. They're getting used to that atmosphere. So when they get a little bit older, then they start working the other side of the bar with wow. the customers. So one of the things that sticks out as you're talking that I always think of like the movies taken where right. the girl gets kidnapped that's what I always think of when I think of these scenarios and what you're saying is that's not necessarily the case. Kidnapping is not very common when it, it happens, but yeah. it's not very common. I, you know, we see that in the movies yeah. and people think that that's the main thing and it's, it's not, it's, it's grooming. Like go back to these border rescues I was telling you about yeah. okay, these, these guys that are, you know, playing this falling in love with the girls or promising jobs. When we interview these girls over 95% of them first met their trafficker on Facebook. 
So it really is. It's a grooming process where they, they, I mean, if we're talking in one word, what traffickers are looking for, it's vulnerabilities. They're looking for vulnerable kids. So they're looking on, and that's why, you know, when I do a lot of educational stuff here in the U S I, you know, I put my dad hat on (laughs) talking to kids and I'm talking to girls about what kinds of pictures they're putting on social media. And I'm talking to guys about what they're looking at and how they're treating those girls. But it is, you know, if I'm a trafficker and I'm on a social media platform, I'm going to look for kids who are depressed for kids who are suicidal, who, for kids who have a horrible relationship with their parents. And then I'm going to create this false persona and be the listening ear for that child. And the reality is is the scary part that parents need to be aware of. And knowledge is huge. Knowledge is power on this. Like if your children play video games, almost all those video games have chat features. Now Mm -hmm. there are predators all over the place in those kinds of chat features. Hmm. Uh, they, there, if there's any way to engage with children, there are predators there. So we, we need to be aware of that. And I tell my kids that I like, you know, if you don't know somebody in real life, you have no business being connected to them on any of your social media platforms. It's just the world we live in now. We, we have to be careful about that. And parents need to be diligent about talking to their kids about this and, and monitoring what they're doing on social media. As you are talking there, use the word vulnerability. Um, and as you were saying that, that that's what they're looking for. And the kid can either choose in their vulnerable state to, okay, I can accept this from this person, whoever it is, that's almost a choice. Or I can look to other things like God. Sure. And I think that, you know what I mean? Like that it's a choice. It, it starts even from way back then as, yeah. as, as the child's being raised or as we're raising kids that we're, you know, maybe you're not, the family that um, reads the Bible every day or whatever it is, but you're at least raising them, your children in a way that, that hopefully they would understand and see that, that, that sure. choice, Hey, I can sure. choose good or I can choose if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think what goes back to Aaron, you mentioned this earlier about just how messed up all of this is, but here's an, here's another reality that just, you know, I, my gosh, this is my world. And, and still, I just can't wrap my head around this as a parent. We know that over 40% of trafficking situations, it starts with a family member. So you're talking about parents who knowingly are selling their kids into this, knowing full well what's going to be happening to them. That's so crazy. when we do like these border rescues, we have to vet the parents. You know, we're not just going to send these kids back to the parents because we got to find out yeah. was the parent the one who started this whole thing. So we've got to do our homework on figuring out, is it really safe for them to be reunited with their family or do we need to figure out something different for this kid? So back to our scenario of rescuing the girl, you, you would pull the girl out of the situation, bring them with a, um, a worker, um, yeah, one of our case case workers or rescue agents. Yeah. And then they have the choice to go into our care, which, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, have you had times where they say no? Yeah. And absolutely. Sometimes it's out of fear because they worry that someone's going to come after them if they try to do that. Uh, sometimes it's out of fear because let's face it, some of them, the last time they had a, you know, nice, sweet, smiling guy promise them something. Yeah. Look where they ended up. So that that's the second one we were talking about, Nick. And then the, the third way that we uh, rescue, which is about half of our rescues is the raids and the raids is where things are at a whole new level. You have to have what's called an MOU. It's a memorandum of understanding that just means that's the legal jargon that says, Hey, we're working hand on hand, hand in hand with the country on this yeah. you know, situation. So that allows our guys to go in with uh, the hidden body cameras on them, whether it's on their outfits, on their backpacks, whatever that is. And when they go in and get now, they're not just looking for underage girls and gathering information on them. We're gathering 
legal evidence against the traffickers themselves. And when we get enough evidence, we go with the local police and do a joint raid. And now we're rescuing kids. We're arresting traffickers. They're getting prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law by the local government and establishments are getting closed down that think that they can profit from using kids. Before we got on camera, you were talking about how the new in certain countries, the news media, when you do that, when you do a raid and they bring them out, yeah, they'll be a, parade them. Yep, they'll call the local news sources and have them come out and they'll parade them right out there for. I think that's a, fan, all the coverage. a fantastic idea. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of things we should do that kind of thing yeah. for. <laughs> there's a lot of other things you probably think we should do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> two in our human nature, right? There's a lot yeah. of laying on of hands we'd like to do. <laughs> Nick is behind that 100%. We are going to parade you out in front, which I think (laughs) is is funny, but it's not funny because of the reason they're getting paraded out there. But um, in my opinion, they deserve every moment of that shame. And I I love that the the governments are that sincere about, you know, cracking down on this, that they're making an example out of these traffickers. And it's a warning shot to to other traffickers. Yeah. What percentage of the girls that are rescued – end up staying in your guys's care and not and not going back into the industry. Well, uh, let me distinguish a couple things here because depending on what country we're in depends on what their what some people call it aftercare, we call it their path to freedom, like what happens after they've been rescued. And that's going to look different in different countries. So like in countries like the Philippines who have a a great aftercare program, uh, we work with them to some degree, but they pretty much, after they've been rescued, go into the government's care at that point. So we're okay. a little more limited in our interaction. Uh, other countries, they actually can come into our care. About 20% of the girls that come into our care go to one of our rescue homes where they maybe on average would be there about six months. And you can imagine some of the medical trauma that these girls have been through, obviously spiritual, physical uh, emotional, educational, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we need to kind of customize a plan for each one of them. Yeah. Uh, the other 80% go into what we call community care. So you might have a situation where three or four girls are living in an apartment together and our caseworker is working with them on a regular basis, you know, we help hooking them up with job training opportunities and uh, they'll come on campus for, you know, self-defense class or, yeah. uh, you know, learning different different opportunities that we have for them to come on and continue to grow in lots of different ways. So when, when you talk about them coming into your care and your facilities, what, what role does the gospel, Jesus and the gospel and God play in that? You guys. Yeah. So we are, we are a Christian organization. Uh, you know, our U S staff, there's about 25 of us worldwide. We probably have about 250 employees, but our U S team, there's about 25 of us. Six of us are pastors. And this, you know, the gospel is a huge part of what we do. It's certainly the motivation behind everything that we yeah. do as a, as a team. And, and our goal, you know, you'd, you'd like to think hypothetically, yes, you want to be able to present the gospel to a hundred percent of the kids, but with how we rescue and having to work within the guidelines of the countries we rescue in, um, it's not possible for us to be able to present the gospel to a hundred percent of the kids. Yeah. Uh, our, our current goal is to be able to present to at least 80% of the kids that we, that we rescue. So again, each country is different. So places like the Philippines, you know, the kids get what we call a dignity pack, uh, because once they've been rescued, they have nothing. So we want to have some of the basics that they need uh, and they might get a Bible and a gospel track, mm-hmm. uh, you know, included in that, but then that might be all the interaction we get with them. But then in places like, you know, Cambodia and Thailand, other countries, uh, that give us more flexibility. We have you know full blown discipleship programs uh, that we're able to go with there. So it is dependent on each country that we're we're in. But our our goal is to 
be able to present to at least 80% of the kids that we've rescued. I think that's a pretty good goal. Like if I presented to 80% of the people I talked to in a day, I'd be doing good. Yeah, well, that's uh, true. I, I think earlier off air, you shared uh, when they get prosecuted, fed two underage. In the, in the Philippines, their legal system is if you're caught trafficking two children, that, that's a 30-year sentence and 30 years for each child after that. Wow. They take it very seriously. And in some of the countries, you can't even raid, so you're not even getting the trafficker, right? You're just able to rescue the girl. Correct. Well, and you think about like places like I talk about like the covert rescues. I mean, these guys are taking girls back to their hotels and stuff like that. We, it's not like we can go and get evidence against the Johns in those yeah. kinds of cases. Yeah. So that's why we're trying to connect the girls in these bar situations and try to establish that relationship there so that we're, we're able to get them because we can't go after the Johns. Yeah in those situations, but we, we are able to go after the, yeah, we're able to go after the traffickers when we're able to do those raids. Um, can you give us a story about a specific girl or something that sticks in your mind that you would want to share for other people to under, really understand destiny rescue? Yeah. Well, I, can I do a couple stories? Yeah, go yeah. for it. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I keep thinking about like each of the scenarios of how we rescue, like, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we've rescued uh, a few girls, young girls out of being temple prostitutes. Uh, you know, one of these girls, she was made a temple prostitute. And in those cultures, they, they truly believe that the gods honor that position, that the, the community is blessed because of that, that they play a vital role in that. So these young girls are forced to have sex with the priest and then they're available to any men in the community. So this girl decided that she was done doing this. And there's kind of this special necklace that they wear to identify this role that they're at and took that off. And somebody came in and was so mad at her that they dragged her out of the building and started to beat her severely in the streets with oh. many people watching. Um, somebody got to one of our agents who was able to get there and rescue her and get her out of that situation. That young girl, uh, this was several years back, has been committed to going back into her community to help other girls Good. who are in that same situation. That's awesome. Uh, in Nepal, you know, a girl that was rescued at a border station, um, she actually ended up going through the Nepalese police training, and she is now a police officer and getting to work at the borders That's awesome. where she was rescued. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's lots of those kinds of stories. We have a, you know, in Southeast Asia, there's a lot more limited offerings for young women as far as what kind of jobs they can have in their culture. And that's part of the reason that leads to this crisis too, is because they don't have a lot of opportunities. So trafficking yeah. is one they can get into and make some money, you know, to support their families. Uh, because in Southeast Asia, there is a lower view of women in general. Uh, like there's a Cambodian uh, proverb that says it takes many rivers to feed an ocean, meaning it takes many women to satisfy a man. And that's just a very common mindset there. Hmm. And that lends itself to this whole, why yeah. they kind of are okay with, you know, this culture of trafficking and even their husbands going down with their buddies down to the bar for the night and hooking up with other girls and stuff. So, um, but we've got, yeah, just so many amazing stories. And one of the, one of the girls was, is a graphic designer now, and she's one of the highest ranked graphic designers at the premier graphic design company in her country now. Wow. That's awesome. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that we've been doing it for 20 years now. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, 
ladies now, but they were girls when we rescued them years ago that have went through our program and we've been able to stay connected to that. They are now actually leading many of our programs and our projects now. Good. So it's exciting to be that we've been around long enough now that we're seeing that, that we're, you know, really developing the native leaders yeah. uh, for these projects. So yeah, a lot, could tell lots, lots of stories oh, for sure. It's sad though. You can, but yeah. that, that's an, you know, um, so I guess for our, for our listeners and for our viewers right now, um, what does it take to rescue a child? And then how can we get involved? Oh, so there's, there's two things. So there, you know, obviously there's a financial side to this, you know, yeah. there, it's just the the reality. So we, we keep track of our operating costs for when we're going in and doing raids and border rescues and covert rescues and everything. And on average for every $1,500 we raise towards rescue, we, we know a child is going to get rescued. You know, that's, that's the average cost getting our agents, you know, if we need to fly them into places where we've identified underage girls, their operating cost while they're there and getting the girl to a safe place to start her path to freedom. On average, it's about $1,500. So it's pretty amazing to have that kind of a tangible opportunity for people to know like $1,500 will literally change a girl's life. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty cool. And when we go back to what we were talking about earlier with the whole rescue story idea, you know, I, I like to remind people that, you know, the, the girls, their rescue story doesn't start the night that our agents get them out of that brothel or that bar. Their rescue story starts in moments like this when we're having these kinds of conversations and we have people listening or watching online where God stirs up in their hearts to do something. Yeah. And when they decide to start using their voice and start using their influence to raise awareness and raise resources to set a kid free, all of that, that starts a chain of events in motion that ultimately leads to our guys being able to get her out. Yeah. But so that that's awesome for me is to know every time we get into a conversation about this, there's an opportunity for a brand new rescue story to get started. Love it. You know, girl over there that has no idea. She thinks she is hopeless. She thinks she is seen as a prostitute and nothing more. She sees darkness and doesn't see any kind of future ahead of her and has no idea that help and hope are on the way. Yeah. That, that's what we get to be a part of. So the other part that I love is, you know, we, we also have rescue partners so people can sign up for any monthly amount that mm-hmm. they want to do. So we have people that do $5 a month. We have people who do $1,500 a month. So so that, that's kind of the financial, a couple of the main ways uh, people can get in. Those who have some more capacity uh, could fund a raid. They could fund a border station. You know, there are opportunities for that as well. Um, but for me, you know, I've been a pastor for 20 years, so I love watching people live out their faith. Yeah. So I, I'm always about helping people figure out what their best yes looks like. Yeah. And, you know, there's a million kids out there who are being trafficked. You can't be the difference for all but you sure can be the difference for one. So what can you take out of your God-given experience, your expertise, your passion, your hobbies, your job, the groups that you're involved in, and how do you just do those and add something that matters deeply to the heart of God to it? Yeah. And watching people do that through the years has been amazing. Uh, two years ago in the summer when you could do this, Remember lemonade stands, guys? You remember yeah. that? You know, it's yeah. been a couple of years since we've seen <laughs> yeah. them, but lemonade stands. In Fort Wayne, I had a seven-year-old girl that did lemonade stands and her friend that made like homemade candies and sold those. So those two seven-year-olds in that summer raised over $2,000 and rescued wow. a kid. 
That's amazing. Two seven-year-olds, right? I was in uh, two couple falls ago. I was at my brother teaches at a private Christian school in Georgia. So in the morning, I was talking to five hundred high school students, which was really cool because God's stirring out. Like I, I really believe that generation is going to rescue more kids than any generation that's gone before it. So I love speaking to that age group. But afterwards, the lady who put it together had said, "You know, I've I've never seen more than two students go up to our speakers." after they've been here in the three years that I've been here, I counted 43 students that came over to talk to you guys after this. So, I mean, God is stirring up this young generation to battle for their peers. But the same day I did that in the afternoon, I was at my parents' retirement center speaking to a group of about 40 or 50 and the youngest one in there had to have been like 65, (laughs) you know, 65 (laughs) to 95 or so. And by the time we get done, I've got this little, this group of little old ladies that are in a knitting group that are talking about what are we going to do this next year to rescue one kid? You know, yeah. so I go from high school, you know, I'm going from 15 years old to 95 years old in the same day. But it's, it's, that's the, everybody can be a part of this. Yeah. Everybody can do something. Yeah. So currently actually the three of us are in a Christian organization called fight club. Um, and we are currently raising money for, to save, what is our goal? 6,000? Uh, the one that we'll be sharing publicly. Yeah, that's 6,000, yeah. which would be four rescues. Yeah. So we have a link in the description of this video below. Um, if you click there, you can help financially. Um, whatever you can give, we greatly appreciate it. I think as you're talking about this, though, the other way I think you could definitely help is by prayer. Absolutely. How, how does prayer, have you, have you seen an effect of, of prayer? In like, Destiny Rescue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we've been growing at such a fast rate. There's no way that we're growing the way we are without God's blessing on this. Yeah. And when I go, when I go to churches, um, God is just granting favor and he is stirring people up. And I have no doubt that's because people are praying fervently for us. Yeah. Uh, I was at a uh, church the, the last two Sundays, uh, they had two campuses. So I was at one in Decatur and one in Bern. And the way they're set up is every month they highlight a mission and people can give to it. Hmm. And the one I was at on Sunday, uh, the pastor came up to me. He said, I got to be honest. We've been doing this for 10 or 12 years now. He said, I know there are people here that have been here for at least 10 years who have never given a dime to any of our mission initiatives. And they are coming up to me today going, how do we give to this to receive wow. some kids? That's awesome. Um, and one of, one of my favorite stories from even just this past Sunday was the pastor came up after the second service. I was talking with a couple about getting their business connected with us. And he comes walking over and I see him, you know, I'm looking up behind this couple I'm talking to. And he holds up this wad of bills and he <laughs> is in tears. Wow. And after they leave, he comes up to me and he's just beside himself emotionally. He had just gotten into a conversation with this 85 year old member of his church and she lives on social security and he knew the money she had. That was her grocery money. Yeah. Like she, she, you know, he was talking to her and saying, you, he's, she's handing this wad of bills to him and saying, Gladys, like you can't do this. You can't afford to do this. And she said, I have to do this. Yeah. You give this money to that man and you tell his team to go rescue more kids. And it was that widow's might. You know, yeah. a, That's what was just running through. Going, you know, like so many of us, we give, but we give out of our abundance. How much do we actually give yeah. sacrificially where it really, you know, where it really test our resolve and commitment to what we say is important. Yeah. So. That's good. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there is that link for fight club, but, uh, I know here locally, we got some people on Facebook here that are listening. Are there any other events going on locally or coming up? So I'm, I'm really excited about this fall. We've got, you know, just in our community right here, some phenomenal stuff coming up. So I've been working with uh, the Rotary Club here in Goshen, and we're actually looking in September at doing a 24-hour race to rescue, uh, potentially at the high school track. Okay. So it'll be 24 hours where people can get people to sponsor them and come out and walk or run during that 24-hour period. But I know they're already talking to other organizations and working with the school, potentially the college, and uh, a lot of that stuff is, is coming together. So that that's going to be happening in September, most likely. I know we're already looking to schedule a date for September or October for the sale that saves. So the sale that saves uh, came out of the, you know, I, there was a challenge I put in 2015 when we first brought Destiny Rescue in. And it was that whole, the comment I mentioned earlier that we can't be the difference for all, but we can be all the difference for one. What can you do to rescue one kid? Yeah. And my friend Jessica uh, was sitting in church and she was six or seven months pregnant with her baby girl. And as she's hearing those statistics, you were talking about Aaron earlier, that just kind of blow you away. She was sitting there just rubbing her belly and thinking, man, this is the world my daughter is coming into. And her baby kicked her for the first time during that message. And then she says she went home and sat down with her family and God kicked all of them. Wow. <laughs> so they had a conversation and said, okay, we're not in the position to give $1,500. How do we rescue a kid? And they thought, you know what? Everybody's got junk. Let's just get everybody's junk together and sell it and let's <laughs> yeah. rescue a kid. So yeah. they got the word out and they started sharing with people and so much stuff started coming in. They didn't have room in their garage. Yeah. So her, her dad was a manager at the time when Goshen plumbing and heating was still around and they said you could use the back part of the warehouse. So that's what they did the first year. So they opened up on a Saturday for this garage sale with the goal of rescuing one kid. They yeah. started at 8 o'clock. By 9 o'clock, they had $1,500 and rescued a kid. By the end wow. of the day, they were over $6,000 and rescued four kids. Wow. The next year, they did $7,500. The third year, we actually had to add a day because so much stuff got donated. We had RV companies donating furniture and TVs. We wow. had someone donate like a seven-year-old vehicle. We had people donating services, painting, videography. Uh, the women did a bake sale. You know, there was all this added, added stuff. That garage sale in its third year made $23,500. Wow. Rescued yeah. 15 kids. It's amazing. So, you know, it's, and now, you know, every year that it comes around, people are thinking, we couldn't do it last year with COVID. Yeah. So we're, we're wanting to, you know, get back to a strong start again this year. But that that's going to happen in the fall. Good. And then team construction. Uh, I've been in conversations with one of my buddies that uh, works over there and great Christian ownership over there. Phenomenal guys. And they are, we've been in conversations about this idea of what would it look like if somebody donated a plot of land and subcontractors were willing to work, basically donate their time yeah. doing stuff. And we still sold the house for full price and all the profit went to rescuing kids. Wow. That's on the calendar for October. October. So a lot a lot of logistics still going on about who's going to, you know, people, I, I know there's already been conversations with some of those subcontractors that are like, yep, we're on board. We'll donate our time for our part. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of moving parts with there, but yeah. that, that's all going to come together. And the hope is that in October uh, that we're going to see a house built. That'll be a community event that people will be invited to come out to. You talked about maybe doing like a 
some kind of a cookout or something yeah. like that for a dedication thing. That'd uh, be good. At that point there. So, you know, there, there's three significant events that are coming up in our area, uh, you know, this, this fall. So people can keep an eye out for that. So, and if you're, man, Again, this goes back. So listeners, like, please understand, like you have a powerful voice. You have a group of people, a circle of influence nobody else has. So if you're connected with a church, if you're connected with another group, uh, your business, you can do something with that group to be able to rescue kids. And if you want to learn how to do that or how you know need resources for that, man, reach out to me. My, my email is chris, C-H-R-I-S dot Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L at destinyrescue.org. And I, I would love to connect with you and help you figure out what your best yes is because you have amazing potential. It's so much of what I get and what ends up just turning into these massive things is because somebody had a conversation with somebody yeah. that they were connected to and then brought me into the conversation. Wow. And we were able to step forward with that and turned into something amazing. So use your circle of influence. And when you get into conversations with people about this, network and let's figure out how to rescue more kids. Yeah. I, um, this was running through my head as you're, you're rattling off all these things that are happening in our little community. Like I was only thinking of one and you, you come up with like a couple more that I had kind of heard rumors of, but you know, we talked about that, that slow fade with pornography and especially in, in men and how that, that consumes our life. But the flip coin of this is, is what you were just talking about the the uphill climb, the battle that that people are doing, and it, it started in CCW with Destiny Rescue coming at one point. They stole you from us. Um, <laughs> the you know the the garage sale came out of that, but it it's these little things, like you said, the little conversations that you'll have um, that that can spark into something huge, a, a garage sale that raises twenty three thousand yeah. dollars. Um there's gonna be a twenty potentially a twenty four hour race. Who knows what that's gonna raise? But um we can defeat this slow fade and help these these children out there and it just takes a little bit of willingness on our part. And I know I as something I have been donating to and trying to fight and uh we finally we've come to a point that throughout a year we'll we'll save one girl and that's just where we're at right now through through god i mean it's been him just like i want you to do these things and like this year we signed up that we're going to donate every month by the end of the year we're going to save one kid and to me that is just a huge blessing but uh, these these bigger events are something you can jump into too and throw twenty thirty bucks at it. I think I at this point I owe Nick thirty dollars that'll be donated to Destiny Rescue. Um, those stats just blow my mind. A hundred and fifty billion dollar industry and a million kids coming with a continual flow of kids coming in. Yeah. That 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 is what we're battling and. These little events in your community, wherever you're at in the world, can can change one to who knows how many kids' lives. Yeah. All right. Anything else you'd like to say in closing here? Uh, so let me tell you one of my favorite stories. All right. Can I do that? Yeah. So uh, Mew is one of our girls that was rescued years ago, and she was one that had been you know vulnerable that a trafficker saw and put her in a situation where she ended up getting trafficked and. 
we were able to rescue her. And ultimately she went on to go through our program and went through our cosmetology uh, program, very common in Southeast Asia for young girls to want to have their own salon. Uh, she eventually went on to, to open up a salon with another girl that we had rescued. Uh, at one point we looked to reunite her with her mom because we wanted to see if that was a safe scenario. And, and, and that was uh, while she was in our care. But a, f- a few years back, um, we had a, a Christmas party. And at that Christmas party, you know, you just imagine, you know, I've got three girls. When they get going, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. When they get cackling and giggling and all that stuff, <laughs> yeah. it's over. So just imagine this whole room full of 12 to 17-year-old girls, you know, uh, just having fun like they should at a Christmas party. And and conversation changed and got a little more serious and girls started sharing some of their stories and um, you shared some of her story. And then at one point um, you looked at our, looked at our caseworkers and our rescue agents. And she simply, she said something that is the drive behind why I do what I do. <laughs> she, she looked at them and she simply said, thank you for considering my life worthy enough to come and rescue. That's good. And for me, that's why we do what we do. Every one of those girls is precious to God. Every one of them deserves to be fought for. Every one of them deserves to be rescued. And there's an urgency to this. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of kids every night that are being put to work for their bodies. Hmm. And and it's not okay. And there's a saying I have on my wall in my office uh, that it motivates me and it haunts me. It simply says, if we don't find her tonight, Somebody else will. Wow, that's good. Uh, and and that's the urgency of this. This isn't something we can sit around and uh, we'll get around to it someday, and we'll do something sometime. Like we we've got to do something now. That's really good. So thank you, Chris, for yeah. joining us today. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, and uh, we I love hearing what uh, God is not only doing through you, but through Destiny's Rescue. And I uh, just continue to pray for. Not only you, but that organization. So uh, thank you for, for jumping on today and uh, sharing this story. And um, we'll we'll get it out there and broadcast it the best way we know how. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Two Fish Podcast, where we try to keep biblical truth simple. Make sure you go check out our Facebook page and our Instagram page. Hit those like, subscribe, and share buttons, and make sure you keep coming back.